having self-confidence, but being really, really humble at the same time. Because it is good to be confident, right? You have to believe in yourselves. You have to believe in your career. You have to believe in your dreams and you have to pursue them. Nobody's going to pursue your dreams for you. Hello and welcome to the Leader Insights Series podcast, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to both career and business success, gaining real insight from inspirational figures across the food and drink industry. I'm your host, Jonathan O'Hagan, and my special guest today is Martin Murray, the co-founder and CEO of Waterdrop. Now, some of you may be familiar with Waterdrop. If not, don't worry. I have the pleasure of talking to their founder and CEO about the business that is revolutionizing the way we drink water. Not only that, it's good for people, the planet, and they are growing at a phenomenal rate. As you'll hear, Martin is a down-to-earth, authentic, and passionate leader. An entrepreneur at heart, he always had a burning desire to start a company. It just so happened he came up with an idea that has created the fastest growing food and beverage business in Europe as voted for by the Financial Times. They've experienced over 400% growth year on year since inception, and the future looks even brighter. Now, this is an all-encompassing conversation, including the early years of founding Waterdrop through to the priorities Martin's focused on right now. We discuss the challenges they face scaling the business, including entering new territories such as the US. And Martin also shares with us some superb advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and how he goes about hiring and surrounding himself with the right people. It's fascinating. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And as always, drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the episode. Subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already to get notified of all future guests. Here we go. Martin, a warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, now, with the growth of Waterdrop, I can only imagine how busy you are right now. So I guess first question, how are you? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I'm actually very good. We're having a lot of fun being busy with things you love. Having the feeling of doing the right stuff is great. So I can't complain. I'm, a, I'm in a good physical and mental condition. Good, good, good. Well, we're going to talk all about Waterdrop. It's a business I've been keeping an eye on a lot, Martin, which is why I was so keen to have you on the podcast. So we're going to talk all about Waterdrop. But where I always start, Martin, is a little bit of career insight. So I, I guess let's take a step back, first of all, and shine the spotlight on you, Martin, if I can. So I guess looking back at your own career, what's influenced you the most? What's been important for your career journey so far when you look back it always sounds so good in hindsight right but i would say for me i i grew up i'm first of all i'm half scottish half austrian so i'm a weird combination so always been a bit international that always helps. sounds like a great combation though Martin. yeah it's a very atypical <laughs> exactly i always liked next to school to do a lot of sport both mental and physical like i've, I've played football i played a lot of chess I like the competitive nature of, of being good at school as well in some sense. Not everything makes sense there. But then I started my professional career at business school. So I studied business in Vienna and in, in Italy for a few years, did a lot of internships, always tried to get as much an intensive experience as possible. So I did everything from working at startups to corporations to consulting companies. 
And then after I graduated, I, I joined a consulting company as well, a global one called Boston Consulting Group. We spent a number of years flying around the world trying to fix companies. That was as what I was supposed to do. I actually learned more mostly <laughs> because it's just a very invigorating type of work. And I think that did shape me as well because you have to be able to grasp complex situations quickly. You obviously work hard. You have to be very structured. You have to be able to deal with a lot of different people um, ranging from super high level to super detailed and pretty much just working with a diverse set of people that want to make something out of their lives. And that's that's what I always find fun. And I knew in my heart early on that I wanted to start a company, certainly influenced perhaps by my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur in Scotland, in the paper industry, actually. And then I actually ended up doing an MBA as well. So after studying business and doing consulting, I did an MBA. So there was a bit of redundancy, but I still did it. There, I had a lot of time to really think through what I wanted to do with my life, pretty much. Or, and I always had this passion for beverages, just find it a very interesting sector because everybody needs it on the one side, but on the other side, nothing really changes. And I then brought up the courage to start this little adventure called Water Drop. Yeah, yeah, which I'm, I'm super keen to talk about. And again, looking back, Martin, you, you may have touched upon it there, but thinking about traits, attributes, behaviors, maybe, what do you think has been beneficial for you? It sounds like that entrepreneurial spirit and you've got a very international upbringing as well. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on what's helped you in terms of traits and attributes? It's always hard to judge yourself, but I think for me personally, a few things are important. One is dedication slash hard work. I was always one of the hardest workers because I truly believe nothing builds itself and you can accomplish a lot if you actually put in the legwork. Not everybody's willing to do that. You have a lot of talkers out there, not so many walkers, and that alone separates you already. The other thing is, I think, I would just call it curiosity. There's a lot of complicated things in the world. You can learn pretty much anything. You can learn so much from every single person. And by just asking questions or being interested in stuff, you're forcing yourself to learn. And then I guess for me, I've always had this combination. And I think it's, I at least think it's good between having self-confidence, but being really, really humble at the same time, because it is good to be confident, right? You have to believe in yourselves. So you have to believe in your career. You have to believe in your dreams and you have to pursue them. Nobody's going to pursue your dreams for you. But at the same time, never, ever thinking, you know, you're something special or you figured something out or you're smart or whatever, because the world is quite humbling. And that mindset of never taking yourself too seriously, but at the same time, you know, believing in yourself. I think that's something that's worked very well for me because I see that so many other people don't do that. That's just the way I've always been. And at least it's worked for me. So I think that's, those were the traits pretty much for me. So working hard, being dedicated, being curious, and then combining self-confidence with humbleness yeah and and in a work context what motivates you then martin you know what's your why to coin cynic well it depends right and you're 
now at Waterdrop is a different why, right? It's the most fulfilling thing there is. Um, but during the professional career, let's just call it university, the why was probably to learn as much as possible. And in my first professional careers, it was do the best job possible, whatever the project was, whatever the team was, the why was ever was always, you know, create the best possible version of whatever the setting is. So that self-driven, you know, you want to be the best at whatever you're doing, or at least create the best possible outcome in, in those cases for our clients back then in consulting. That was the why. And then when you start your own business, it's a <laughs> totally different league because you need a lot of whys. But I think, you know, the ultimate why is to have the courage and the confidence again to create something new that ultimately makes the world a better place. That's probably the most high level why. And then one level below is to fundamentally change the way beverages are sold. That's why at Waterdrop then. So there's always a different why depending on what you're doing. Just important to know what it is. Yeah. And I suppose it evolves as well, Martin. I mean, we'll touch upon the growth journey you guys are on, but perhaps that why evolves over time as well, depending on the size and scale and your input as well, day to day, because I guess your role has changed since what 2016 when the company was found but yeah have you found your why your motivation is has changed apart from that maybe overarching one which will never change but yeah as has there been a shift in terms of motivation for you as the company scaled at such a rapid rate yes absolutely that's why i said you need several whys so there, there's a very high level why but then there's there many many whys in the in, in the detail i think the you know, at the beginning, the why is to probably prove to the world that this product needs to exist, right? <laughs> we spent two years in R&D. It's like my why is that I wanted to show everybody that there's a better way of doing it. Then once you reach that milestone, then the why is, you know, how do you, how do you commercialize it? How do you find your product market fit in many ways? Then once you have that, it's about, you know, how do you, how do you scale it? Like, you know, you really want to turn this into to a global business. And then at the end, it's, you know, how do we create the biggest possible impact globally? So it does change, of course, absolutely. At the same time, the why is, you know, to just to be, to become a, a good human being, good professional, but also a good father. You know, I have three little kids now as well, next to water drop. So it's, your, your why does evolve because, you know, what is it about? It's about, for me, just being a good person, having as much impact as possible to trigger positive change and at the same time putting all my heart and energy into turning water drop into the the biggest and best version of what it can be mm, brilliant brilliant now thinking about your time probably with boston consulting i would guess would be most relevant martin you would have worked with some great businesses i imagine so thinking back best piece of career advice you've ever received probably don't overthink it problem you have with with a lot of smart people is that they they see so many options and so many risks and get so intellectual that they they never start doing and just you know conceptualize all the time and often it's better to just just do it yeah literally and um may not be perfect but at least you're in this mode of of execution something i can definitely relate to martin i'm sure many listeners will 
as well. And just finally on this section, again, I mean, you're still very much on this journey, upwards journey, but any big kind of career defining moments so far that really stand out for you? Head and shoulders. Yeah, looking back. Before or during water drop? I suppose any time really, Martin. Yeah, you know, and and I ask that question really, people often draw upon, you know, some of the good things, but sometimes some of the bad things as well, you know, milestones, I guess. And and look, you're still very much on the journey, but looking back, anything pivotal that's happened in your career that's really stands out for you? I mean, there's so many things. I mean, I always say, and that's probably the most pivotal moment that separates the doers from those who, who, who never do is, do you actually start? Do you actually take the decision to burn the ships and put your money where your, your voice is? Because, you know, a lot of people have great ideas. A lot of people have great concepts and, you know, there's so many people I met, even at BCG, everybody had their own idea and business school, even worse, you know, everybody has four ideas and, but it, there comes a point where you actually have to decide if you're actually going to follow through with this, burn the ships, like I said, you know, quit your job and sail into uncertainty or not. That for me was the most defining moment. Because once I knew in my heart I would do it, I didn't care what people told me or judged me by because, you know, the first two years, everybody thought I'm an idiot. Like the people were like, you know, the guys got debt. I didn't have any money, no savings. Why don't you go back to your safe job? Why are you really doing this? And now everybody, you know, in hindsight, everybody always knows it would work, et cetera. But at that time, for sure not. And to have the confidence again, but the passion to say, I don't really care how, what people are going to think about this or judge me by, I'm just going to do it. That takes a lot of courage, but it's it's very liberating because once you're out there, you're out there. There's no going back, you know, and then you, you, that's why I like that metaphor of burning the ships, because if, if you don't have a ship to sail back, you know, you're obviously going to, you're obviously going to fight in a different dimension than if you have a backup plan, like a lot of rational people have backup plans and then they have projects. But I think that ultimately is the biggest and hardest decision and best advice, you know, actually jumping. And that's what most companies are created or not, because it makes rationally absolutely no sense to do it zero like the odds of failure are just so unbelievably high and you know you need so much luck and so many things need to come together to actually create a successful business out of a high level idea but in hindsight that's that was a moment and then once you're once you're sailing there's like a thousand of these smaller moments uh, that make you stronger and uh, along the journey but that's the one that moment where you actually decide to do it yeah i guess it's that dilemma between risk and reward isn't it martin and some people focus too much on the risk versus the reward but yeah sage advice now before i go to my next question i wanted to remind you about the brand new charitable initiative we launched in 2022 called the mentors club the purpose of the mentors club is to raise money for charity whilst facilitating the introduction to inspirational industry leaders for quick advice and mentorship Think executive coaching meets speed dating. It's a 100% for charity initiative with three wonderful beneficiaries, including the Magic Breakfast, Macmillan and RMHC. We've got a panel of 10 superb mentors you can get access to, including Andrew Selly, the CEO of Bidfood, Sue Garfit, the CEO of Alpro, and Julia Darville, the UK MD of Puratos, plus many, many more. 
think of it this way. If you're working through a challenge at work or you're at a career crossroads and you'd be keen to get inspirational advice from industry proven leaders, then this is for you. Likewise, if you're already operating at C-suite level and you're looking for a great networking opportunity to connect with other like-minded leaders, then this is for you. To find out more and support the initiative and check out our amazing panel of mentors, then simply go to leaderexecutive.com forward slash the mentors club. Thank you for your support. I mean, let's talk about water drop because, yeah, I, I've watched the journey uh, fr- from afar, um, but founded in 2016, I believe the fastest growing food and beverage business in Europe as voted by the Financial Times. I think you've achieved 400% growth year on year, uh, every single year. So it's pretty impressive stuff, Martin. But listen, you give us an intro, you know, for, many, for anyone not familiar, please give us an intro to, to water drop. Ah, sure. I mean, my very obvious insight was that the beverage industry is fascinating, right? Everybody has to drink. I was always of the opinion that people should just be drinking water. It's it's the best there is, you know, drinking more water does a lot of magic to your body, but most people don't. Quite the opposite. You know, they drink a lot of unhealthy stuff that is not good for your body, but also not good for the planet. Because the thing that frustrated me was these hundreds of millions of plastic bottles that are not only made, but then shipped around the world, causing an abundance of plastic bottles and CO2 emissions. So the insight was, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to be a bit naive and rational. And the naive thought was, what would the perfect beverage landscape look like if you could do it on a white piece of paper? And, you know, we're talking about a six, $700 billion market. So it's quite big. And I said, why isn't there decentralized available tap water everywhere, you know, safe drinking water everywhere. And if people are in need of functionality or taste, we create something we call a water drop, a micro drink, we call them technically. So a little drink, it's fruit and plant extracts, we compress into little cube, you drop that cube into water, it dissolves and you turn in, you turn your water into any kind of beverage you like. And that concept would be very strong, obviously, because it has a lot of advantages. One is you save all the plastic bottles. Nobody needs them anymore. Two is you save all the CO2 emissions caused by shipping those bottles around. That's the one people don't see. Three is you allow customers to make their own drinks. So the whole customization aspect, why does every beverage always have to be the same? And number four is you can finally sell online big problem beverages have is that they're too heavy basket sizes are not high enough so you can't really build a d2c model and because beverages are sold offline that's just a matter of the business so that was the idea and um, what we did is we first of all had to do two years of r&d to actually make it happen that was a lot of blood sweat and tears i can tell you but then once we had it we we hit the market and people were really surprised because we were like an ipad invention or typically startups are started by you testing with a prototype or a website and then you see if there's traffic or not and if there is you do more of it so this mvp approach minimal viable product that wasn't possible in our case because we had to spend two years to actually make the prototype so there wasn't a lot of research was relevant because you can't really ask people about a product that doesn't exist so ipad in a sense that we just appeared and nobody had asked for us and that was in 2017 then 
And then we change pretty much everything once we hit the market because the only relevant feedback is from customers. So we adapted the packaging, we adapted the taste, we adapted the positioning, we adapted the pricing. We discovered our business model, which is a combination of online sales paired with selected access in, in retail. So in supermarkets, beauty stores, and also own stores. And then fast forward four years, five years, we're now a, becoming a global brand our key idea is that we want to be the world's global globally leading hydration brand without ever selling water and we want people to actually drink more water that's our tagline that's our north star so drink more water and we've built this hydration ecosystem where we have four micros now so we have micro drinks we have micro tea we have micro energy and we're also going to do one for sports we have a big drinkware business because people have to drink from something. And we believe it's much better to have a sustainable glass or steel bottle, carry that around and not buy a disposable plastic bottle. And then the third kind of part of the ecosystem is we have our own app paired with some water filtration devices that do not only allow you to track your hydration status, but also clean your water and collect points in our system that you can redeem against new products. And we've grown quite a bit, sure. Um, so it, it went pretty quickly. So we've grown to far above 100 million in revenue in, in five years. We're in 12 markets in Europe. We, we entered the US last year. We're doing a lot of stuff, but that's where we are at the moment. And our idea is pretty much to make a contribution to the world by getting rid of the unsustainable part of the beverage industry and just help people be healthier and, and and more aware of what they're doing yeah amazing what an amazing journey and so created in 2016 launched in 2017 how many people in the business now then martin in all the different areas it's around 250 and i know it's growing all the time so it's probably hard to <laughs> keep an exact it's um it's it's a bit hard to say because we have well above 100 in our headquarter in vienna we're in vienna austria we have a small team in the US, we have a small team in Paris, we have a team in Eastern Europe, we have our own fulfillment center where we have 50 people, we have our own production. We actually, because we built everything ourselves, we own the factory where we produce, so we own our supply chain, which especially in these times is, is, is quite beneficial. So there's another 50 people there, and then we also operate 25 of our own stores where we have a whole bunch of young, passionate people, but some of them are part-time, some of them are students. So there it gets a bit grayish, the, the, the counting. But it's still a young company, very young, very passionate. And everybody's just here to, yeah, make a difference. Mm. Must give you a great sense of pride, Martin, you know, this idea that over the last five years you've scaled and it's most importantly profitable, but doing business in the right way it's that it's doing good for people and the planet that must make you really super proud as a as a founder co-founder of water job it is i mean it's starting a company is like the ultimate roller coaster of emotion there's many things that go wrong but there's also a lot of extremely rewarding parts you know i would say starting a business is the most irrational stupid and nonsensical thing you can do but at the same time it's it's the most <laughs> invigorating fun and great thing to do because you know you get so much out of it it's great to see the business growing it's especially great it's even more motivating to see the people grow 
Like we have yeah. a lot of people who've been here from the start and, you know, like growing in, in a crazy environment like that. And that, that gives me a lot of joy, but actually what keeps me going is the fact that we're nowhere. It's, you know, we're still a little company. Nobody really knows us and the potential of us you know, going much, much further is just enormous. So we just keep our heads down and do what we do and continue to put in the work and the effort. And like I said, the execution, because nothing really builds itself. We still have a long way to go. Well, as a concept, it strikes me you're tapping into absolutely the, the, the key priorities right now, which is is health and sustainability. Those are the key things right now, aren't they, that are all manufacturers, retailers, et cetera, are, are, are thinking of. And your concept, your idea taps into uh, into both those things in a big way. Um, again, thinking about the journey you've been on this last five years, there, there must have been some some real highs, some real lows. Again, anything that stands out for you, Martin, you know, greatest challenge, for example, you face so far over the five years and, and, and maybe the greatest success as well? The challenges are hard because we, we have so many, but just to give you an example, like the first ever delivery we had to make to a retailer, a wholesaler, was super important to us, right? Because as a young brand, non-delivery is not an option, right? If a big partner tells you you have to deliver on a certain day, you have to deliver. And then literally, I think a week before something went wrong in production and the production site was down and we couldn't deliver, which was obviously not a good situation. But we we find a creative solution by kind of finding a new production site where we could borrow their equipment on the weekend and, you know, <laughs> bring in our own people and produce somewhere else and then transport it all the way back. So those were the days where 24 hours a day were really 24 hours a day, but we somehow made it happen. And then in hindsight, it's fun because you achieved it, but that was very, very risky. And, but you have a lot of challenges all the time. Once you've solved three or four life or death situations, which you have to solve as a zero to one funder, you get a bit relaxed because any problem that the world throws at you, you're going to solve because, you know, it doesn't get worse than you're going to die next week. You know, you're going to run out of money. You're going to do this. It doesn't work. And the amount of times I people told me this is not going to work were a lot. And so there was a lot there and it just forms your mindset to, you know, accept any kind of challenge and, you know, it is what it is. We will solve it. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You lose a bit of time, but we will solve it. So there's many of these, some more fun than others. And on the upside, I think, I mean, there was a few big ones, but I can remember seeing our production site run for the first time where you're like, wow, you know, you have your own kind of production site and all these machines are just made for this little cube that you dreamed of. So pretty cool. Starting to sell in the U.S. as a young Austrian company was fun. During COVID, we entered the U.S., so we, we weren't even there. We just started selling online from here, and it went very well, which is also was a funny feeling that we're suddenly, you know, having all these U.S. consumers we're speaking to, and we're not even in the States. So that was fun. And then ultimately, I think for me, is is seeing the organization grow. That's the that's the funnest part because, you know, a company with five people, 10, 20, 50, 100, or 250 is very, very different, completely different than seeing that evolve and seeing people evolve and, you know, seeing all these successes being celebrated together. That's, that's, those are like my personal highlights always, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's it. As they say, it's a cliche, but you've got to enjoy the journey. I suppose, Martin, it sounds like you are. As the CEO, share with us what's what's top of the priority list right now. You know, what are you focused on right now at this stage of the evolution of Waterdrop? The, the number one topic is always people. We have, you know, we have our strategy, we have our plans, we have our budgets and all that, but it's it's always people. It's always a organization. Our size is a constantly evolving, very complex thing. And I try to allocate as much time as possible to recruit and train and communicate because at the end of the day, that's that's literally my job. Finding the right people, putting them in the right positions to take the right decisions and delegating as much as possible to make yourself redundant, pretty much. Because if you come in as a CEO, very different than if you start as a you know founder and CEO, you you know everything. At some point, you were alone, and now there's 250 people. So there, there's a there's a progression there uh, of handing things over. But number one, people, you know, ranging from increasing performance and recruiting, communication, solving issues. That's that's number one. And then I'd say. There's probably two or three big ones. One for sure is the U.S. We think a lot about the U.S. because that's you know our largest market and soon and a lot of complexity there. Then we have a big topic around supply chain, especially now. The good news for us is we're very solid supply chain, but there's a lot of optimization, a lot of investments going on there. And then free, I would say it's always the future. It's always a bit weird, but I always tend to live like one or two years in the future. So now I'm thinking about what do we do 23? What do we do 24? What do you have to trigger now to get there? So I'd say those those four things. Um, majority of the time, priority is people. And then the US supply chain and the future. Those are the... If I would allocate all my appointments my entire week into four buckets, there would be probably be those four. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, I, I suppose thinking about the future, Martin, uh, I mean, the, the, the growth you guys are on, I, I don't know how easy this is to answer, but where is Waterdrop going to be in three, five years? You know, do you have projections you can share with us? Um, yeah, what does that future look like for Waterdrop? What's the big dream? I mean, three to five years is around the corner, so it's not that hard to see. For me, it's always like it gets muddy if you're like, okay, 10 years always sounds a bit crazy. Three to five, I can at least imagine. So for me, the dimensions are, you know, we'll be global. So we'll have a hub in, in Singapore where we'll, we're going to do our whole APEC business. Main headquarters will remain in Vienna, but we'll also have a hub in Miami, LA, and, and New York um, spread out globally. The majority of the business, I mean, it's just going to grow, of course. The channel split is going to change a bit. So the pure e-com play is going to be reduced a bit, going from probably 80% down to, let's call it around 60%. And the offline is going to increase quite a bit. So we'll have much stronger relationships with, with global retailers, wholesalers. We'll be a much more household brand because we'll invest a lot into mass market advertising, sponsoring, etc., that's going to be a, a big shift on the product side. Everything ultimately only just improves. Like we have a lot of exciting things coming up in those three dimensions I said. So the world's micro tea, micro energy, micro drink, obviously, and then micro light. I can share that. So electrolytes will be quite established with different target groups, very differentiated and product offerings. 
our drinkware portfolio will be pretty huge. We'll be one of the largest drinkware producers in the world. We're already one of the largest, if not the largest in, in, in Europe. And then on the water filtration, I think that's going to be a significant part of the business because if the dream is to allow everybody to drink sufficient water, we also have to make sure the platform is drinkable. And there's a lot of markets in the world where we're not so fortunate, like in Austria, where you can just drink tap water. So having an ability as a consumer to have safe drinking water is the first step before you you know, either use water drops or you just drink water. It's very clear we can just continue replicating what we're doing at the moment, just doing the right moves at the right time, having the right ambition, but also not overdoing it with growth. You touched upon high growth, and I always find it funny that media is always so excited about growth, right? It's so exciting growth. But growth isn't always good. There comes a very good question where you have to ask yourself, what's the right level of growth? You can't double or quadruple a business every year. Not only not mathematically, but also culturally from an organization wise, because the faster you grow, the harder it is to control and the more quality issues you become. You can't be perfect by, you know, growing in four continents at the same time. You know, the certain level of expectations for consumers, um, product quality scaling, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's. That, that's going to be interesting. But long story short, so product portfolio is going to evolve and become much clearer. We'll be global. That just meaning we're doing the same around the world. And team-wise, we'll be a truly global company because we'll have a hub in Southeast Asia. We'll have um, at least two or three teams in the US and continue to grow in Europe. And we have a few quite exciting products coming up there then as well. You're, you're going to be a busy person, Martin. A busy person by the sounds of it. Yeah, sounds fant- fantastic, though. It really does. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Obvious Candidate. Obvious Candidate was founded by Sam Waterfall, aka London's Global Career Coach. And I'm delighted to collaborate with Sam as he has a truly unique approach to helping you get the job you really want. Having begun his own career in brand management at Procter & Gamble, Sam understands marketing. And he's the only career coach I ever recommend. Why? Well, simply because he gets results. As the founder of Obvious Candidate, Sam has 18 years experience in helping people to position themselves as the number one obvious candidate, head and shoulders above the competition. He successfully worked with people who've gone on to land jobs with the International Olympic Committee, the World Economic Forum, Nike, Amazon, Virgin, Red Bull Racing, Rolls-Royce to name just a few. Essentially, if your job search is taking too long or you're struggling to get the job offers you really want, then Sam is your man. Now, Sam and I have put together an exclusive offer for you, the listeners, where he's prepared to offer you for free a video introduction to his amazing precision networking method. And he'll also give you, again, for free, a copy of his Dream 30 networking tracker. This helps you to organize, structure and guide your approach to effective networking. I've seen it, it's superb, and it is a proven strategy that gets results. To reach out to Sam and take advantage, simply go to www.obviouscandidate.com forward slash leader. Do it today. You won't regret it. Your next big job is waiting for you. Now, moving on to leadership, Martin, keen to pick your brains on this. So in your opinion, what does good leadership look like from your perspective? Oh, that's a big topic. Mm. 
The first, it depends, of course, on, on the size of the business and all that, right? Very different if you're 10,000 people or 10. But for me, ultimately, the way I see it is the first thing to understand is that my job, you know, as the, the leader, founder, CEO, whatever of the company is to, to paint the vision, the future, and to inspire. That's the job. So I give the direction and I, I invite everybody to come to this journey. But then at the same time, that's at least how I always see it. I'm here to work for the team and help where I can, not the other way around. I think a lot of people have the perception everybody works you know, for the CEO or for the leader. I, I would see myself as I know where we want to go. I try to excite people about the vision and the mission. But I see my job ultimately as helping where I can. And that can mean a lot of things that can mean advice, that can be a decision, that can be, you know, allocation of resources to to make that happen and try to enable and empowering the people around you to do the right things. That's how I see it at the moment. No, well, you said some very important things. I mean, you you will have been around leaders as well, Martin, in your in your previous career, I guess. What are the. What are the couple of core principles that you notice really good leaders have? You may have you may have touched upon them there around vision, inspiring, creating excitement about the direction. But yeah, are there a couple of absolute non-negotiable principles that you noticed among some of the best leaders you've been around? It's an interesting question. I mean, I for instance, you know, I, I have a lot of mentors and I read many of the books and biographies, and I think there's not a I think there's not a clear-cut answer, but what I do see is that there is a difference between leadership and management. That's, I think, important because being a good manager does not automatically mean you're a good leader and vice versa. There is a, a distinction there because good manager has his stuff under control, is very clear in communication, is good at delegation, is good at structuring, is good at getting stuff done. But a leader ultimately is somebody who can intrinsically inspire you to follow right i always find the best leaders are people that that you would want to work with it's not like okay because this person is the job and stuff but you feel like that person makes you a better person and inspires you to do different things through communication through you know expectation through whatever it is but there's a big difference there and um i think the the best leaders manage to build a team around them that makes it seem seamless because if ultimately the job is you know to give the direction and to inspire people you can only do that if you if you have a great leadership team that can multiply that into the organization it's not enough to have one you know inspiring guy doing the talking you need a whole team to transmit that all the time and that's why i said before people choosing that team is one of the the biggest the biggest decisions, and it, it, it's certainly not 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 easy. So that's one thing I've seen that that works very well. Another way of phrasing it would be authentic. A lot of people see through much more than you would believe, and you know if you put on stuff and then you pretend to know stuff you don't, or if you you know do power plays or whatever it is. People see through that immediately. So having the courage to show vulnerability, just being as honest as possible, 
not always totally honest. <laughs> there comes a, there comes a point where where you have to be careful what you say if you're the 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 the, the top of the organization. I've learned that many times. But the point is that you can just be whoever you are because ultimately people want to be around you. They want to follow you. They believe in your vision, and it excites them to to be part of that. That's what leadership is for me on the most high level. And then there's many aspects of that. And, you know, the more, the more authentic you can do that, the more comfort or safety you transmit through that people, for instance, I've, that's one behavioral trait I always install. I've observed maybe just one story when I was in all these big companies consulting that if a company becomes large, the politics begin, right? Then you have the upward management, everybody's super smart, telling their bosses how good they are. Um, and you have different teams playing against other teams and it, it becomes very political. And one of the things I always try to do is instill a sense of it's okay not to be perfect. I'm not perfect. That's what I mean by showing vulnerability. I don't know a lot of stuff. You know, I ask stupid questions. And then telling people very explicitly that I have no tolerance for for upward management. You know, if you don't know something, tell me. If you don't understand, tell me. Never, ever pretend. And that's um, something that happens in most big organizations. And then that what it ultimately means is people are have fear because they don't have the confidence again to honestly tell you the truth because they have to keep this face. But for the top guys, it means that they never, ever hear what's actually going on. And that's why they have to hire all these consultants. But um, <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, people could, could tell you. And that's, for me, also good leadership, creating this environment of, of, of trust and security where it's okay to speak up and where it's okay to, you know, admit that you made a mistake or admit that you don't know something. It's much, much more effective than having this control and and. and, and more of that management attention, as I mentioned before. So those are some of the things I think are relevant that, that I've always observed. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Just, um, I just want to take a step back on something you said there. You, you touched upon it a couple of times, but the importance, I guess, of building the right team, having the right people around you. Do you have like a philosophy as such, Martin, on how you go about finding those right people? For example, is it values-based? culture fit first versus skills and experience is, is there sort of an overarching way that you go about it because it's clearly very important to you as many leaders have cited as well you've got to have the right people around you so do you have any sort of key insights that's worked for you around making sure you've got the right people oh that's the that's the biggest question of all right and um you always read in the biographies you know how many mistakes were made and what companies because <laughs> It, everybody knows it's the most important, but it's also the easiest one to make the most mistakes. The way I see it is, first of all, likely minds attract likely minds. Um, one of the easiest ways of seeing good teams, and it's true, it sounds a bit harsh, but it's it's literally true. There's there's many ways of putting this, but I've always observed that you know, A players work with A players and B players hire C players. And um, that comes back to the that corporate thing I, I, I mentioned, because if people are confident and good, they like working with great people. It inspires them. It, it, they like being challenged. You know, it's, it's annoying sometimes, but it makes the results better. If you're somebody who's inherently a bit insecure and you want to do power plays, you want to tell other people what to do, you will always tend to, to hire people who are 
not as good as you because then you're obviously the better guy. The best people hire people that are better than them. That's always what I try to think. I, I was, I feel happy when I'm the dumbest guy in the room. Th that That's one. And that's something to look out for because that's something to practice and preach all the time. Ultimately, what I see is when I speak to people, I see it, you know, the most high level view is like it's, it's free bars and of a computer game. And the one bar is drive. If somebody hasn't got a 10 in drive and, um, you know, I, I lose interest. The other is personal connection or cultural fit as we call it right do you really gel in here and then the third bar is like qualification like excellence and whatever that person does and you can compromise on the the excellence and professional aptitude part on the third computer game bar but you can't compromise on drive and cultural fit those have to be 10 and then it becomes about putting people in the right position you can have amazingly good talented people and just put them in the wrong in the wrong position in the wrong team then they are so it's not about just identifying the people and you know realizing there's a fit and then the real challenge is you know how do you create the context to make those people successful that's what i come back with the way i always see with the team is like my job is ultimately to make everybody successful that's where it gets complicated because that can mean a lot of different things so at the end of the day i challenge everybody to to bring in people that are ultimately better that's the only way to progress and the other thing is this like i said the most high level there's more there's more to that but the most high level are these three categories then it's about context communication etc because the way you know from my perspective my team and that's what i transmit there has to be a hundred percent no bullshit culture a hundred percent trust you know I see the truth. I expect the truth. That creates a bond and that creates better decisions because you actually know what's going on. That's a really good insight, Martin. Yeah, a really good insight. I mean, it's it's a cliche, but, you know, a business is ultimately, you know, as strong as its people, really. I mean, product, product is important, of course, but the people who are the key to unlocking this growth that you're searching for. So that's a really good insight to your approach to that yeah really good insight I, I suppose just drawing to a close martin a couple of quick fire questions you mentioned earlier you've got three children um you travel a lot i know so i guess work-life balance do you have one martin and any advice for the rest of us <laughs> in terms of trying to uh, have some balance it's an interesting question because i never really think about it that way i mean i may be special because you know if you're a founder you know, I can honestly not imagine doing something cooler than what I do. So it's not like, you know, if you're in a job where you're like, okay, I'm doing this Monday to Friday and then my life starts and then this Monday to Friday, I think then you really have a problem. And then that concept starts because, you know, what's what's the point? Um, of course, if you do something like I'm doing, it's the boundaries get muddy because, you know, if you love what you do, and that's not a cliche because, you know, I can choose what I do literally, um, at least most appointments. It's a different feeling all the time. The reality is, of course, that you have to make trade-offs. If you go the speed we go, you know, it's not a secret. We work a lot. I work a lot. I see my kids in, in the morning and I come back late every night. But I block out the weekends entirely, spend time with the family. I love it. You know, I, I, I work out three, four times a week spend a lot of time with family we do a lot of trips but during the week it's full-on water drop which is you know what i love doing so i i don't need that artificial 
split into work and bad. So I, I don't really have that. I guess the key, the key thing, Martin, is you, you're absolutely invested, uh, enjoy it. it. It's not work and then life. It's just part of who you are. You can tell you absolutely love the journey that you're on. So therefore... It just becomes part of your life in totality, which is, I guess, very common for founders, owner operators. Um, those lines are blurred, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a bad thing. And anyway, it sounds like you carve out and prioritize family time, which is great. So, yeah, no, interesting. Book recommendations, Martin? Anything that has been particularly impactful for you over the years? Cool. I read a lot. I've read a lot. So I like reading biographies i've had a few really good ones to name a few right i liked the shoe dog phil knight uh, nike was really interesting even ray Kroc, mcdonald's the starbucks story walt disney story like those kind of books alike i mean steve jobs obviously you know the the, the big guys i think the more impactful ones because you asked the impactful i really liked a book called the five regrets of the dying it gave me a lot of insight because it's written by i think a nurse that after her career of there's a certain name for it i forgot it but if you're like the last nurse you know before people literally die you see a lot of patterns and when people tell you about their lives no matter where they're from you know how rich poor what country they're from and they wrote a book about it and you could probably guess the five regrets high level but it's very very powerful to to read those stories and then to realize that ultimately you're going to be one of those people. You're going to look back in your life and you're going to think, wow, what would have I changed? And then you kind of still have the ability now because we're still here to beam yourself back into the shoes and then say, okay, what, <laughs> what am I actually going to do there? There's a few really good ones. And the one that strikes out for me, I paid too much attention to what other people thought about me. Remember when I said earlier, when people judge you because they don't believe in this, believe in that. And then you realize that who were you who are you wanting to impress? Mostly people you don't even know. And when you, cut, when you cut through that, it gives you a lot of clarity because it's not about impressing other people. You know, you don't have to pretend you're something you're not. It's uh, more important than you're not. And that, I, I really like that book. It made me think a lot. Well, you talked earlier about the difference between, you know, there's lots of people with great ideas, but there's very few people who have great ideas and actually act upon them and take it to that next level. And for me, I think a lot of it, certainly from what I've read and understood, it, it centers often around that fear of failure. Some people might have that great idea or great initiative, but they don't do much with it for that fear of failure. And I guess that taps into what you're saying around not listening to other people and the opinions. If you really believe in something, go for it. And and that's that's something I guess we all deal with on certain levels, don't we, all the time, that fear of, well, what if it goes wrong? Well, yeah, but what if it goes right? Um, but that's a very good example because if you ask these people, and I've met hundreds of them who said, yeah, but if it goes wrong, of course it will go wrong. Uh, 99% literally, that's the odds. But what's the downside? You're still living in a rich country. You're going to find a job. You'll just start something else. It's much better experience than you know any kind of other job. Like literally, what's the downside? You have a better story to tell. There's something to teach your grandchildren. And then if you actually realize, okay, yeah, but I don't want to, you know, look stupid or unsuccessful against, you know, my parents or my friends or my fancy contact somewhere, you know, like who cares? Uh, your parents are always going to support you. 
And if your friends judge you by taking a big risk, probably not your friends, you know, all these other people that you want to impress, they're not really important. You know, I don't want to inspire people to just do random stuff. Um, uh, starting a business takes a lot. You know, market has to be right. Your timing has to be right. Your product has to be very differentiated. You also have to put in, you know, all you have in terms of drive and passion. But ultimately, it's like you said, it's it's blocking out all these these other people because there's a lot of other people who are going to give you a lot of advice and stigmatize you and have known it all better all the time but those are not the people that ever start anything yeah yeah now i always finish on the same question martin kind of what we've just been talking about is probably the answer maybe that you'd like to give here but i always finish by saying knowing what you know now what would you tell your younger self in terms of career advice as i say what we talked about there was almost perfect but yeah, what would you tell your younger self if you could whiz back in time, Martin? I would say overappreciate how lucky you are by the sheer fact that you're that you're here, that you have access to education, that you live in a, a safe country, you have social contacts, that you have the opportunity to actually do something, and then cherish every opportunity you can and take absolutely nothing for granted and on top don't take yourself too seriously brilliant that's some really good advice martin thank you so much it's been a real pleasure i know how busy you are because of so much stuff you've got going on with water drops so thank you so much for investing the time i'm going to watch your journey eagerly and i think water drops just going to go from strength to strength i wish you all the best for the future and yeah thank you once again for sharing your wisdom and spending some time with me thank you jonathan was a pleasure take care cheers martin thanks so much for listening i hope you found this episode valuable don't forget to subscribe so you get notified about all future episodes i'm working really hard to keep bringing you inspirational leaders from the food and drink industry that we can all learn from and if you're feeling generous please drop us a review it really helps spread the podcast far and wide And finally, as you've probably noticed, my passion is to help businesses thrive through the power of people. Like the very best leaders of today, I understand how creating purpose-led cultures with high levels of trust and employee engagement leads to successful financial performance. Back in 2011, I founded Leader Executive to help companies outperform the market by focusing on the human element of their business, their people. As a well-respected talent solutions partner, we collaborate with food and drink businesses across our four business pillars, design, hire, develop, inspire. To find out more about how we can help you outperform your competition by focusing on the human element of your business, then reach out to me on john at leaderexecutivesearch.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time on the Leader Insight Series podcast, take care.